Welcome to Learning CDH, the podcast dedicated to teaching you everything you need to know about Competitive Commander. I'm your host, Matthew, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Eric. And today, we're back, um, and we're bringing you usually one of, you know, like the, the highlights of the series for some people, the ones that a lot of people really look forward to, and that is the quarterly update. This is the last update for 2023, where we're looking at all of the decks uh, that topped events with 64 or more entries uh in between october and the end of the year uh in december um looking at the top 10 we're gonna highlight some honorable mentions but we're gonna be going through like we always do um breaking down the number of top 16s these decks got these decks got versus the entries they had and then boiling that down into the conversion rate and of course if you want to follow along uh, you can follow this at the link down below it's going to point you to edh top 16 which is one of the best new resources that we've had and allows us to do this really awesome series yeah they're awesome and so uh this is not a tier list you know a lot of people go how do you do your tier list i'm like well it's not a tier list it's just based on performance for us that's what that's the way we like to do um so that way it keeps the con- it's consistent because one thing i notice is people like to move the goalpost for like Mm-hmm. parameters for decks and stuff and like there might be special considerations like if there's like the uh mox masters invitational which didn't have a full 64 players that's sure. a little bit different because that's a qualifier event where a lot of people had to like you know had some of the best players into it and so and it was right on the cusp is in the 50s high 50s maybe mid 50s something like that so just for those if you haven't watch one of these episodes before just understand where we're coming from we're just strictly basing this off analytics this isn't like a bias or anything like that uh yeah this isn't our tier list like eric was saying we don't the the point here is not to turn our opinions into data it's really to give kind of opinions on the data and, and we're, we'll talk about why certain decks we think uh maybe rose up or fell down uh this is another list where all i think eight of the ten decks have moved positions um, so it is a pretty different list from the last top 10 and we're going to go over that last top 10 so you can compare it as we go along again, kind of sorry. We had a bit of a break. We had a whole bunch of stuff come up. There was an episode that was supposed to come out. And if you watch my last video, you'll know why it didn't come out. Looking to run a great CDH event, having hosted over 100 successful tournaments, eminence gaming has your back with command tower with its intuitive tournament manager dashboard. You can handle everything from deck list submission to player management in just a few clicks. Then, all players need to do is scan a generated QR code to have access to your full tournament bracket. Put your players first with seamless pairing software and real-time access to standings. Take the guesswork out of tournaments. Give Command Tower a try for your next event. Before we hop into it, we did have a patron submitted question. Uh, If you're a patron over on Patreon, uh, you can submit podcast questions for us to talk about in episodes. Um, And this one is from TRS... Aphelion? Aphelion? I don't know if that's a real word. Um, hopefully I got the name right. Did it, the question we're going to talk about is what does stacks need to become a viable tournament archetype? So uh, for some players who maybe aren't aware uh, of like the tournament scene, you know, you might see stacks a lot in your local scene, especially I think a lot of people they get, for whatever reason, um, there's just way more stacks at like smaller events that are just more local. I don't know. I don't get it. But, but there isn't really a honestly at this point a single like dedicated stacks list that consistently performs um we saw like the closest thing be like kind of tie m in recent times which is like even tie players will argue it's not a stack deck it's like a mid-range deck kind of 
Um, and then people will think of like Winota as an example, which was kind of more of a turbo deck or like a fast mid-range deck that ran a lot of stacks pieces. Uh, in my mind, I think what stacks needs to be successful is a it, the ability to actually target something in the metagame that it can that is really so prevalent that shutting it down it makes your deck actually very strong. So for example, the most powerful we've really seen stacks be in kind of recent history, and even this is kind of diving to pre, like what I would consider like what the current golden age of CDH that we're in, is like the rule of law versus Turbo Nas meta, where Turbo Nas was so critical as such a major part of the format that your deck being just full of rule of laws made it like actually have a big impact on what's happening. But I think current CDH deck construction, like what succeeds is, I mean, we're going to look at today, basically eight mid-range decks that honestly either benefit from or can just brush off most stacks because the the net that those decks kind of throw is so like broad. They just get to do everything that they want to do. And you slowing the game down doesn't really make sense because like what stacks is really good at targeting like turbo decks it's really good at stopping those but those decks are already punished by the decks that are good they don't tend to do that great into like you know like a triple mid-range pod they can kind of get beat up so i really think what stacks lacks currently is an identity because they shut down the decks that aren't even really the best uh with like at least the most the stack species that we tend to see yeah so for me, like when I look at stacks and like there are good stacks cards, right? Like there's tons of them actually. But I think stacks as a concept, it's so hard in this particular metagame. And we're talking about like stacks as like a deck, like an archetype. Yeah. I would have to think that a stacks commander has to break parity with its own stacks pieces. So when I look at that, it's like, uh, what out of great, great example, right? But then it became a very unfair format for it because first off, the card quality is really low in the deck list and it's not in the best colors and people started packing removal or they respected it more and remove it on site, you know, as much as possible. Like, Oh, there's a one in a pod, uh, you know, whether it's a deadly rock, fatal push, I don't know. Any, mm-hmm. uh, Pat the exile, those type of cards, you know, and then we see that a lot. Like there's like, you know, there's, you know, read what own it's, it's like fundamentally a broken magic card. Even the, What's the green white creature that's very similar that has like no it's not similar to Winona, but it draws lots of cards and Oh, Elevere. There we go. See, yeah. see that tells you how much I like actually know. I was like, I know what the card does. Yeah, that is one we have <laughs> seen have a little bit of success recently. It's not gonna be featured here, but it it it's shown up at like medium sized events. Right. And so like those cards are pretty good, like fundamentally. Like the, you read them like, man, these do a lot of things and stuff, but I, I just think it's so hard to consistently play a deck that is trying to 1v3. And you have to have... there. Like, I, I even think stacks is like one of those things that's kind of harder than turbo, like in terms of the politics aspects, mm-hmm. because nobody likes really playing against you. Like, truly, by yeah. and large. No, nobody likes to have their mana crypt shut off, right? It's kind of hard to be proactive in those decks, because, like, for example, you want to run rule law effects, but... If my A plus B is a two-card combo, I can't use it. Mm-hmm. So when I look at that, it makes it fairly difficult for those decks to fundamentally play in a four-player environment. Now, I think there are stacks cards that work very well in 
the strategies that you know we'll highlight here shortly and that's a little bit different because they're like pretty powerful like cards in a particular situation but they're like um, built in asymmetrical effects like they right you don't have to try to break them they're naturally breaking parity themselves yeah and i'm gonna be honest uh i thought stax's decline really started when they printed uh Ottawara and besaju that's when yeah. it started Mm. And then they printed Orcish Bowmaster. And then so, <laughs> you know, like, and I know these decks still do very, you know, like, I think Gold Sabretooth uh, won't be reflected in this. I think top 16 with Blood Pod. Mm. You know, that, the good player, a little bit different. You know, that's, a, it's overall, like, got lots of good high quality cards in it. It can do lots of stuff and it can win through its own stacks pieces. Yep. So it's a little bit different than, like, you know, the traditional rule of law, lock everything down decks that, and Tyam was kind of the bridge there, if you think about it, because mm. it could win through its own rule of law effects. But I don't know. I just think it's a fundamentally flawed concept in a four-player environment. You know, that's just my opinion. I'm definitely could be wrong on it, but it's definitely I think from an outside observer, if you came into CDH now and you weren't told exactly like the idea of like, oh, the meta is a rock, paper, scissors of turbo mid-range and stacks. That isn't a concept you would even come away with, like looking at a tournament. I don't think you wouldn't look and see. You don't see. You don't even really see a large enough. I mean, you would. I think archetypally be able to point out like, oh, this deck seems to really go under. Try to go under what other decks are doing, and you you'd probably be able to like still spot like the turbo decks. Of course, if you're looking more at like top 16s, they don't tend to top 16 as much, so you're not going to see as many of them. It won't feel like, oh, this is uh, these two archetypes fighting. It's going to be like. The main decks are these sort of piles of either high card quality. Like, I think that's more the the things you'd come across. Like, you have decks that are sort of like partnery high color piles versus decks that are more synergistic, uh, commander-focused kind of decks. Not as much, and you're not going to see any stacks decks at all. (laughs) Like, you don't, they just aren't really the tournament force that they are. They, They happen, it comes up, people will, like, spike a top 16 but it's really more like every other event gets one it's not like hey three stacks decks four turbo decks then the rest mid-range it's a lot of what we would describe as a mid-range and maybe we as cdh players have to do a better job of breaking down uh, the differences in lists because those large macro archetypes aren't even really represented in the decks that we see currently like it it felt like it used to be like that like maybe like a year, year and a half, like year and a half, two years ago, but it's very much different now. And part of that is there's more players playing CDH, so more decks are getting worked on and discovered. Also, they're just printing four mana powerful cards, so yeah, <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to argue with. You know, if they're just going to keep printing cards like the One Ring and even Beseech is played in like these decks that aren't inherently like a turbo card, but yet it's like you know, it could be a storm card. It could just be like a really powerful four mana tutor. You know, and then uh, as we've said this multiple times, wait till Modern Horizons 3 this summer. That is where we'll probably get a really good, you know, spicy handful of playables. Yeah, probably going to be some shake Let's go. Let's do yeah, it. Green S percent. No, let's also, go. Also, Eric mentioned Beseech. If you're playing against the rule of law, don't bargain your Beseech the Mirror. It doesn't work. You won't be able to cast the spell. Uh, we're going to quickly... Kind of go over some of the honorable mentions we want to talk about that don't quite make the top 10, but that we wanted to highlight here. I kind of briefly mentioned Akiri Thrasios with a really small, so four top 16s, 
five entries for an 80% conversion rate, really small sample size, but a really consistent deck uh, that is in the colors and most of the composition of uh, like Dawn Waker Thrasios, which is when we started this list, when we started doing this in uh, March, or I guess probably early April, uh, that was like, that was going to be a top 10 contender, you know, the duration of the this time we do this series, like that's a really established deck. And that, that's been falling off. That's not even been like mentioned since the second episode. I think that's just not a deck it, archetype anymore. Really? It's weird. I, I remember a really ruggedly handsome bearded <laughs> gentleman wearing all over people's glasses was like, you know, I just don't think this deck is uh why, why, why not just play it more turbo? No, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm just trolling. So, but no, that really happened. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, a lot of a lot of these Akiri Thras lists are like trying to trim the fat off of what was like the established John Waker deck, which was like something we had both talked about as being like kind of clunky. Uh, the win cons are kind of weird. It's kind of it didn't seem like it should work, and then now it just doesn't seem to work at all. Uh, the way it was being built. And honestly, like, and that's not to say that that deck couldn't get a retooling itself. Yeah. You know, I I, I think eventually people will come back to that list, especially because. It is a Seedborn, like uh, Don Waker is the Seedborn Muse list. It can play the One Ring, pretty powerful stuff. And if you do play that deck, please play Grand Abolisher because that card is good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we, we definitely see like more win cons. Like uh, one of the top performing decks, one having Minskin Boo, which I think this is one I covered, which I was very excited about seeing Minskin Boo just in the deck. Um, so I played against, I played against Wyatt before. Uh, yeah. Actually played, uh, we ID'd, but we ended up playing the match. At uh, final flavor, that's the one where I mm. like went off on turn two. But uh, but regardless, like the list was so, he mulligan super low, but it was still super scary because he had like uh, a Mystic Remora, and he, it was like he was a breach away from winning the game yeah. because that just was able to present something super crazy. And uh, why it's a good player, super nice person. Uh, I, I really like this list a lot. It's definitely looking at it more like a Jeskai breach list that adds like some of the strengths of green, like the green stuff that you get instead of like the very green focused build. Like there's no mana dorks here. You are running cards like Ragavan, which we never saw on Dawn Waker, really. And then like Bomberman, which is a win con you don't always see. Even like the breach stuff was often not used in those decks. Um, it was like kind of more of a rarity uh, running like wheels, not something you saw as much. And then just adding in, uh, you know, the couple cards that you get access to that are good here. Like worldly tutor goes well with your creature combo lines. The Neo forms finales, Eldritch revolutions, of course, good in these kind of decks. It's still, they are still are doing the like toolboxy, you know, like you want to do, you have access to like spell seeker, eternal witness, those sort of like those cards that you would have expected in the old list, but you just have a lot of win cons, a lot of the, the fat strammed. You're not doing the Kenan uh, basalt monolith stuff because doesn't really line up with your cards you're not supercharging dorks anymore you don't have any but yeah this is a cool list this is a commander pairing i had tried but um uh, and one i would i would i would like to try some more this is, this is a cool looking one yeah and just to highlight one one more thing this list is built very similar in the same vein as effectively like a rock side list it's taking advantage of mox amber and springleaf drum and it's got uh four talisman like effects into it a list that was originally traditionally like kind of played like super mid-rangey list and it's got like the spell seeker ephemerate package to go get like your final fortune and kind of do the thing and you know tutor all that stuff up so it has that package as well um again super cool list and probably one that is better than it's represented because it just doesn't have a lot of people playing it but the people who do play it do fairly well with it one thing we we kind of talked about 
a bit not really done a full episode on maybe maybe it's something to talk about at some point is like how Nas isn't that as important of a card in the format anymore it's still a card you see but it's not there aren't as many like you don't really see dedicated Nas decks as much and Varagoth, which is a honorable mention we're gonna talk about here uh coming in at 13 uh is the most dedicated Nas deck you could possibly build uh we're not gonna go too much into exactly how it works in the combo lines because there is kind of it is one of the most like the, one of the few decks in this format that really just plays on a different axis it does its own thing it ignores the concept of card quality entirely by running a, a deck that you can add Nas and draw your entire deck purely seeks to do the Nas things um and, and it does it does it well and it's it's had again very small sample size four top 16s nine players for a 44 percent conversion rate but it uh it kind of just showed up and kind of bodied one specific tournament that was um uh Salt City. Yeah, Salt City with three players in the top 16. Really wild performance there. Definitely a cool list to check out if you're more interested in kind of the uh more extreme builds that you can uh, pull off in this format. Yeah, it's like it reminds me of like Mono Black Cody. We'll mention Corvold because we have to. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're aware of recent events, this Corvold really should have at least two of the top 16s it has on here kind of marked off, uh, kind of thrown out. Asterisk. Big asterisk next to them. Still an awesome deck that has been getting better and has, you know, good performances uh, in a variety of builds, but especially like its established build that, you know, people like Eric have worked on is looking to, to be pretty sick right now. But again, we, we kind of have to mention like, yeah, it's number 11 here. Normally we'd be super hyped about it, but kind of, kind of been soured a bit. I will mention yeah. Obnixilis as probably most likely on here to show up in the top 10 in the next episode. Uh, This is a deck that it's just, if you, if you play against it, you know, it just can, it generates so many cards. It gets a commander that can just kill. So, like it's like murder bird, you know, Jessica Ishai, but if that was also a Ristic study that that was like taxing people's life totals, like it's it it does a lot in Rakdos, and it doesn't just do the traditional Rakdos thing. Like it's not a Turbo Nas deck. It can go very quickly, but it does it differently, and it's more of a synergistic build. But it really breaks the the synergies that it has. Obviously, taking advantage of cards like Mayhem Devil, Orcish Bowmaster, and it gets to run cool cards. I believe it's as a Bolt Bin, the one yeah. that has like effectively. You know, it has to have like ferocity yeah. or whatever creature power for or greater, but like it gets to run some really sweet stuff like that. As time has progressed, it like it was kind of hot, then it dipped off, mm-hmm. and then it picked back up because people refined the deck list. So you have a lot less like just pew pew dedicated stuff to it that are just like really good cards because it, it plays very similar. It was kind of the Italian before the Italian, right? It plays a lot to just how a lot of the commander games go with people pinging themselves off their lands, whether it's a fetch, a city of brass, mana confluence, uh, those type of cards. And it just, people are paying that, like they, they, they pay that life. And so it just inherently plays into the situation, the way the deck goes. So it's pretty interesting. I, I, it's cool. I like it. I mean, I don't know, like, I guess my fear has always been like something like Draneth Magistrate. But then when you look at the deck, it has a ton of it, removal. It runs a so. ton of removal and about as much protection as a Rakdos deck can run for the ob. You know, it's one of those decks that I feel like it really, really, it, it it's a pretty good Jeweled Lotus deck. It's one of those. Who would have thought Jeweled Lotus could yeah. match a card? And and probably only the deck gets better moving forward because it, I'm sure there'll be some other random instance of a card that just happens to punish opponents deal them a damage arbitrarily it's a good card on its own and then you go forward from there uh with the honorable mentions out of the way 
we're going to really quickly kind of uh, recap what the last quarterly update was, what that top 10 was, and then be able to kind of like have that fresh in your mind as we go through the list and see the changes that we've had. Yes. Yeah, so our quarterly update for July, August, September, quarter three of last year, we had Eurico at number 10, Dihada at number nine, Kenrith at number eight, Rogsai at number seven, Atraxa at six, Sisse at five, Najila at four, Tivit at three, Kennen at two, and Temnacrom at one. Uh, that featured a couple decks, I think, making it for the first time. Decks like Rogsai, um, Najila, and Tivit dropping. Specifically, Najila, we've seen kind of continually drop as like Bowmasters Wondering and then just like other decks take over. And then I think that was Kennen's first spot at number two that had dethroned kind of Tivit and Najila that were looking like really solid. Like it looked like Timnacrom, Tivit, Najila would kind of be the top three for a while. And then that hasn't really been the case. And we'll see what, how it looks in this list. Number 10. Number 10 is Talion, the Kindly Lord, with six top 16s, 38 entries, with a 15.79% conversion rate. And again, as a reminder, this is 64 or greater ran by the EDH top 16 software. Matt, what do, what do you think about Talion? Yeah, this was when we we talked about it when it got revealed that this might be on the list at some point. It had kind of, I think it was an honorable mention last time because it had kind of started getting some results and hovered in that like 15th through 11th spot. I don't remember exactly where it ended up. And this was when we kind of expected could be depending on like how people built it and how it played. Uh, it seemed at first like it might just be the the best deck at drawing like getting a draw in a, in a match uh, in the format, but um, players are piloting it or building it now in a way that like, you know, actually lets them win. It's one of the wildest draw engines you can have in the command zone. So it's not that surprising. Again, one of the like best jewel Lotus decks. If you get this thing out, turn one, the, the weakness of it is if you don't get this thing out, turn one, like it, it, I think it's impact gets a little worse as it goes. It's kind of, one of those decks that's like you can have absolutely absurd starts that only require mana. They don't really require anything else, any other specific yeah. cards. And then if you don't have those, you at least have a lot of control tools that let you kind of stay until you can develop Talion. Because Talion doesn't really necessarily fall off like, you know, like a Ristic study on turn 10 is definitely not necessarily at its best. Talion's still going to draw cards. The life starts to matter a lot more trying to do something like a breach loop through Talion on two gets a little bit harder, even doing like the Oracle Tainted Pact. And then especially if there's Talion clones, it can get to the point where you're like, all right, cast my two mana spell, take six, my opponents draw three cards. Uh, that can be really hard to break through. And apologize real quick. Uh, I'm getting over being sick, so no still occasionally runs. I know it's gross, nobody cares, but you know, if you see me off the side, <laughs> like having to like pat my nose, I'm just trying to save the the viewers and the listeners from anything like uh one thing i want to note about talion is just how impactful it is when especially there's multiple talions out like matt was alluding to with clone effects but just in general talion also just being a tool used in other decks i would not be shocked to see if omnixilis somehow follows the same uh route a little bit because it, it is a little bit more dedicated but for example corvold already runs bowmaster mayhem devil so who knows? Go. That could 
that could be uh, an interesting card to help break some of these like mirrors up or something like that for like, these heavy mid-range mirrors. Watch Rockside. That'd be hilarious. Rockside just jamming Omnixilis <laughs> and Talia. I'm joking. I'm joking. Zane, don't beat me up. I'm just trolling hard. I thought Today's about it. I thought hard about the Italian. I never thought about the Omnix, but I thought hard about the Italian. I just think Italian is a super powerful card. It's easy to cast. They keep printing cards like Rhystic. St- like the way Italian's worded, is kind of ridiculous. Like the fact that like it could be mana, power, toughness, whatever. And then it's just like, oh, so literally a blind squirrel can put Italian down and still get value off of it. It's just like, I, I think that cards like that, that kind of have that built in like safety net is, is while I think Italian is a super cool card, I think it's a poorly designed card and mm. it should just be more focused, kind of like a Archon of Emeria in a way. Because, like, that's just, like, imagine a stacks piece like that. Like, if the creature has, like, power one, like, you know, whatever combination of the way the card's worded, you can't cast it. Like, that would be pretty ridiculous. It's, it's got to be, like, number one card, number one new generator of mist triggers. Because of, like, how many different things, like, you're talking about, it can be. Whereas, like, the, the number you pick can just, yeah, there's a lot to think about. It's very much also, like... Like it seems fine in, in sixty card, but it is also clearly like here's here's the one of the commander cards of the set. Like here's a commander that people play because it just is absurd in multiplayer. But yeah, that's Italian at number ten. No ties at ten. We do have a tie at number uh, nine, uh, number eight, both being seven top sixteens. It does look like they are now all sorted by conversion rate as the tiebreaker, so we don't have to qualify that anymore. At number nine, with Seven top 16s for a with 54 entries for a 12.96% conversion rate. We have Rograk and Silas, uh, one of our favorite decks here on the channel. We always spend more time on this uh, commander when we do one of these top uh, top tens than almost any other one. And we're seeing it fall off cons- kind of consistently. You know, like like I mentioned, it was number seven last time. It was top five, I think, on the previous episode. I want to say like fifth. And here we're seeing the one of the most, you know, one of the the true dedicated turbo decks uh, of the top 10 drop off almost off the list. Yeah, I do want to bring up if you take a deep dive on the Rock Rack Silas. So if you look at your pilots, you have Sergio, really solid pilot. Connor, really great pilot. You know, two two super strong pilots right there. And then Zane is because uh, Zane hasn't been as active Mm. in like tournament cdh magic because he's too busy bringing us amazing software like this and prepping us for other events for 2024 but he was right on the cusp of lotus series 2 which was the recent of like online event along with uh william and they were 17th and 18th respectively it's right there and we've talked about this i've I've always said this like i feel like i've always felt like blue farms the just overall inherently best deck in terms of just the way it plays and performance mm. but i think rogsai in like somebody like zane's hand is the best deck like i just think it's it's ceiling to floor is 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 so different because it just doesn't have that catch up mechanic that mm. you know you know great it's got wheels and rustic and all that good stuff but it's one of those things where I just feel like you have to be like really in tuned with it like all combo decks or all decks that are like a stormy based deck you have to really know how to pick your points and I think the average player picking up Rogsai is going to have a worse experience than the average player picking up Blue Farm 
Yeah, it can definitely be tough to pilot. This is, we kind of alluded to, like, adjusting for cheaters. There's one more top 16 under rock size belt uh, because that 17th position would have been 16th. But again, that's we and we have another deck here that had more tops than maybe it should have because of this. That's just something we can't account for. We can't just remove the numbers because like it affects the whole event. You, it, it would it's not just like, oh, move everybody up one because the pods would have played yeah. out different. Like So it's not something we can account for, unfortunately. It is just maybe a, a tougher world for a rock pilot if you find yourself you know you look at the decks that are also on here if you find like you're the one turbo guy in your pod of three responsible mid-range players you got you got to really break through uh with some with some clutch plays or with like a really really great mulligan strategy to get through that is tough and uh it's not the only turbo deck in the top 10 that dropped some slots so we'll, we'll highlight that. So that could be like a trend that we just see in general. Yeah, I don't have much else to say about it. I don't like seeing Rogside drop. I, I love the deck. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, between the discords and some of the Twitter chatter and whatnot, I've noticed a lot of people are starting to want to put like the multiple Final Fortune effects back into their mid-range decks. And mm. I magic goes through these waves right like it goes through this wave of like whether it's meta cards that type of stuff and then we get to a certain point where people go oh man i'm really tired of playing against this grindy you know format let me try to speed up the format jokingly that's where like you know some people don't believe in it but that's where the theory of mardu summer came from and most people don't know it it really had nothing to do inherently with mardu itself it was more so a philosophy whether or not we see that trend take place again, I don't know. You know, obviously, we're kind of at a stagnant where we hadn't had new cards printed in a little bit now. So the format's kind of like in this very stable position. So unless we get like, you know, some really pushed cards, you know, in the next standard set, which is like, was it Manor of Markov or something like that? Or Mar- Markov uh, the, Manor? It'll be the, yeah, Murders of Karlov Manor. The yeah, something. Next Ravnica something set, yeah. Yeah, something that I'm only going to look for like the only the only good CDH cards, and then not really worry about the rest of the yeah rest of the set. We'll we'll have to see. Again, I think MH three is going to be MH three. Uh, I don't know how big the Fallout expansion is going to be. So yeah, that that could be when we get something wild because there's definitely pushed cards. They're just not. They might not line up with what we do in the format. Yeah. Well, the junk mechanic itself is. Like we don't know what makes junk, but the actual token is really good. Yeah, that'll so be a cool we'll, to see. We'll see how that plays out. So yeah, I, this is definitely one, and we talked about this kind of last time because Rockside had a drop where we're like, you know, do we need? Do we are we on the lookout for Rockside? Why did it drop? The next one, if this trend continues, it might not be on the list. So that will be like a big indicator that like Turbo is really in a tough spot. Uh, when. Because, again, these like kind of two turbo decks have been here since we started this list. And if one of those drops off completely, then that, you know, that'll it kind of suck. That kind of <laughs> suck. I'm not going to lie. So Rockside Pilots, get it together. So number eight, it also had seven top 16s with 21 entries. So a higher conversion rate at 33.33%. And it's another Grixis deck. It is Krom and Tevish. You know, people talking about Big Boy Winner or whatever it's called. Um mm-hmm. This kind of falls into it because, you know, depending on the builds, it still has a very strong Grixis core, but its two commanders allow it to do that long game plan. And there's been some various builds, too. Uh, I know uh, Ian's list uh, went like really, really changed up some stuff, played like a little bit more mid-rangey setup, added the Talion. Added things like uh, Ledger Shredder to help churn through cards, Flesh Duplicate, and 
you know, that just gave it a little bit longer stability in the game, along with running like a counterbalance and uh, Sensei's Divining Top package as well and running Curse Totem. So, you know, just just enough swaps to give it that nice, stable position in the metagame, you know, and it's just a powerful, you know, color combination. But And that deck also had a, you know, a turbo build to it as well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's Sharky who plays it, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. And that list was sweet. Like, I, I put that list together. It was super fun. And it felt more like Rog Size Bigger Brother, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, like, in terms of, like, very similar builds, ultimately kind of similar game plans, but has, like, cards like a Hole Breaker Horror, which also can be an infinite mana combo with your rocks, which you can bounce your Tevish and do the thing, you know, to basically draw your deck. But yeah, I think super strong deck. This deck's always been kind of on the cusp of top 10 or higher, and it always typically does well with a lower amount of pilots. Mm -hmm. And it's super rewarding. It's fun. You still get to do the Grixis thing. What do you think? It's really notable that like this deck got two tournament wins uh, in this time that we're looking at. And the lists are pretty different. Uh, we talked about Ian's list, which is a little more mid-rangey. And then, like, you know, that had, like, a counterbalance top package. And then there's also uh, this other list that won that has, like, uh, your rocking cards, like Reign of Filth, um, Yawgmoth's Will, Jessica's Will, that is able to do some pretty cool stuff. This is definitely a deck that, like you mentioned, I think it made the list, like, once. I think it was, like, 10th yeah. when, when we did it. And it's been, like, that honorable mention-ish slot a lot without as many pilots it's never had that many entries and it is just like we've mentioned it as like one of the more forgiving things because it's also like a really flexible deck like the one of the strengths that this deck can have versus like a rog sai is sometimes you get a hand with rog sai that is like the most mana you've ever seen but it doesn't go anywhere this deck doesn't really get that specific problem uh you get the grixis mana development and then you get sometimes even the choice between two different very powerful early card draw engines that you can develop that both have their own like pros and cons like even that choice leads uh like a lot of kind of strategy and sort of the ability to like make or break your your performance based on your ability to like navigate your pod so i think this is definitely a deck that has a really high ceiling it can be uh if you're putting hole breaker horror in your nas deck it can be really clunky uh if you choose to do it that way like again the other deck that won chose not to is not running any uh seven drops in, in their nas list but one of the decks did so like it is there's a lot you can do here and but this deck really does it really does it well in a in a different way than rog sai but in at least for this top 10 an equally powerful way having a much higher conversion rate actually and the same like the same number of top 16s but you know less than half the amount of entries i think this is a deck to look out for that could like stay here i don't want rog side up to fall off but uh the way it's trending that could you know, this deck I could see moving up and uh, maybe making it closer to like that top five range. All right. At number seven with an asterisk next to its <laughs> next to his name, we have with eight top 16s, 42 entries for a 19.05% conversion rate. We have a Traxa Grand Unifier, uh, which has been a mainstay of this list kind of since people really started Jamming it in tournaments, showing that TNT colors are good, even if TNT is not. Kind of a high color mid-rangey pile that, like we mentioned last time, one of the strengths of it is like you have a payoff in the zone. You don't have the, a way to get to your cards as much as you have like a way to just like, oh, I have seven men. I can probably win the game. You know, many ad nauseum at home. Uh, and then also a creature that is 
absurd with clones can be built in a more synergistic way to take advantage of getting it out early and just blinking it over and over and going crazy. But it can also be built in like a slower, stable, more like way to just generate advantage, get to a very safe position. You can do food chain. You can choose not to. Just like another really flexible, powerful mid-range option in uh, in CDH with using green. Uh, the way I look at it, if Atrax is good enough for uh, vintage and good enough for yes. legacy, I think good enough for every pretty, format it's in. It's probably pretty decent here. I like doing the Atraxa, th- the Atraxa thing because I've played this deck quite a bit and I really like. And it was just like if I'm doing the Atraxa thing, I, it's so much fun. Yeah. If I'm not, and I'm just kind of like you know four color soup. Cast my opposition agent, do this, you know. I'm just kind of like, yeah, I don't want to play this. It's like, <laughs> I, you know, like, it's not like yeah. I don't like the, I don't like how the inherent deck plays, but it is a testament to this notion where people are like, green sucks. And mm. while green hasn't got a lot of like crazy staples lately, when you commit to what green is good at, like tons of dorks, Gaia's Cradle, uh, some list honor off Sylvan. Uh, what is it? Uh, sorry, uh, survival of the fittest. Yeah, those type of things. If you commit to that, survival of the fittest is a you know that's a pretty broken magic card. Yeah, like as a whole, we just moved away from it because a lot of decks started over time went to the turbo route and they started cutting creatures. Right, mm. so then your survival isn't as good anymore. But decks that commit to that plan that have those cards, not bad. Because also oddly, oddly enough, like. Like, this is like, you know, they got Delighted Halfling. You get cards like Invasion of Vicoria. Some lists play it, some lists don't. It's mm. one of those things of like, you know, when you commit to what green does well, green tends to do pretty decent. Like, so, but this notion of this green's just so porous. Like, people don't want to believe this. I, I think red's actually the worst color as a whole. It's super top heavy here. Yeah. But if you take Breach and Dockside out of the equation, Red kind of sucks if you think yeah, about it. Definitely very top in, heavy, whereas green is more of like the kind of just like they got the workhorse cards that are just like, we're going to get you through it. We'll get you a little bit of mana, not too fast. We're going to get you some mana. Uh, We'll get you some cards. We'll get you some selection. But you don't have that like, oh, you resolve this two mana green spell. We're so screwed. They just don't really have that like crazy, absurd top end cards. But they are, which... This isn't like in a lot of the other green decks here, they're not really looking for that necessarily because they're building for the floor being really high. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a great way to put it too. Yeah. It's, you know, not trying to go in a like green is better <laughs> than advertised like rant, but you know, as you're going to see as we go through the, the list and we'll see like towards the top, you know, a green deck that does green things tends to be pretty good. So I don't know. We'll see. Number six, Kenrith the Return King. With eight top 16s, 39 entries, 20.51% conversion rate. We've talked about Kenrith. Kenrith has returned to form. It stayed, you know, it it, it kind of like appeared out of nowhere for a little bit. And then it like started just doing well. You know, even taking down an event, uh, it took down the end of the year Mox Diamond Tournament uh, by Tim Knowles. So I'm going to just kind of hop into his deck list and just kind of see what's going on. We've talked about how flexible Kenrith is, and we're going to highlight some of the things I just said about Atraxa. So cards that Kenrith play are Survival of the Fittest, Carpet of Flowers, lots of Mana Dorks, Gaia's Cradle. <laughs> so uh, it also plays a truck ton of Green Tutors. You know, people forget that Green Tutors are probably arguably the second best tutor source because there's so many of them. They're very dense. 
Mm. Also being able to play Kenrith, you get the A plus B and Thassa's Oracle combo. It has Dockside combos. It like, man, I don't know if you have the list pulled up, but I mean, its creature package is super, super spicy. And not in a bit like, you know, spicy, I think so, where that's used for like, not like, oh, you ran some bad cards. Spicy. <laughs> sp- spicy versus like, man, this is like a very well thought out list. And it's got it's got all sorts of cool stuff. It even runs Agatha of the Vile Cauldron yeah. along with a- Agatha Soul Cauldron. So Lines, both of those lining up pretty well with actually like a deck that wants to use Kenrith. Yeah, this is like kind of by, like far and away the most flexible commander that that we we, we feature. It's, it's ever on this top ten. You can do whatever you want with Kenrith. You'll find lists that try to slant more turbo and just still just use him as an outlet. You'll find decks that like actually want him in play and are running cards like Jeweled Lotus and even are crazy enough to run like Fierce and, and SWAT with their five mana commander that they're not racing out sometimes. Yeah, it's it's really the like kind of I can do anything deck and. There was one that kind of hovered around that like honorable mention ish category, like here. And then, yeah, like I think there was like a big retooling of the deck. Um, people were like trying to get it more focused or get like a better idea of what they wanted out of it and the packages that they wanted. And we've seen like lots of different variants of it, of being like the true five color good stuff deck of the format. And now it's just like established where it, shows up and i would be surprised if it didn't show up in the like the next update or the one after that yeah i mean like this list specifically is super cool like you've got teferi time reveler stuff like i said you've got breach you've got the Ristic mystic kind of package you've got some smothering tithe action survival of the fittest i mean it's awesome like it's a cool list it's running talion it's running the new dauntless dismantler it's got Luris. it's got lotho cannon like it's got mayhem devil combo yeah. so you can like basically like kill people also let's like let's talk about agatha of the vile cauldron pretty interesting card if you don't know what it does it's red and a green for a legendary human warlock one one creature activated abilities of creatures you control cost x less to activate where x is agatha of the vile cauldron's power this effect can't reduce the mana and the mana cost less than one red green four other creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain trample and haste until end of turn. So it's a win condition within itself. Like mm. if you have infinite mana. It's also like a really good it's especially good with Kenrith because you can put plus one plus one counters on a creature. So you can buff Agatha, get it to where like you can get Ken, basically to the point where you can just like make Kenrith just like pay a blue, draw a card, play a pay a black, reanimate one of your things. Um and just on its own, just being able to like make your dockside reanimation loop or whatever, like a mana cheaper is helpful here and then it can also make it like go way 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 positive like super easily to where you don't even need to be able to go infinite it can just like do one of your things so many times that you just kind of like break open the stuff that you're doing well we, i talked about survival but survival plus agatha soul cauldron that's pretty good right you can just pitch your ranger captain of eos to the graveyard to go get something better in your game state situation give something a counter activate it because it has the ranger ability so mm. Yeah, really, really sweet list. Um, honestly, something I'd probably like to like sleeve up and battle with a little bit more when I'm, you know, not feeling the storm route. A synergy that might not be that apparent because people don't read this part of the card is uh, Agatha Soul Cauldron with a meal. Is one, it's just good. You can just throw a meal in the graveyard and do a meal stuff. But also, a meal has another ability that you just pay a mana when something enters. You put a counter on it. Then you're like. All of your creatures are ranger captains. Emil, those kind of cards, pretty broken here because you can just bow master somebody down too. 
There's a <laughs> lot. There's like so many different. There's this so is, many different ways layered. to learn. Coming up on our top five with nine top 16s, 57 entries for a 15.79% conversion rate. Yes, all the way down here at number five. That is an Ajila the Blade Blossom. Uh, this is a deck when we started this, it was like firmly two. I think going into right before Lord of the Rings, it looked like it might even overtake Blue Farm as number one. Um, kind of fighting with Tivit at some point in the middle of the year. And then post Lord of the Rings, we had a drop to uh, it finally at was it three. Now down at five. Pretty, uh, there's uh, some pretty, obviously pretty good names. But what what I want to highlight about Najila is obviously we've talked about this before about the, you know, whether it's Bowmaster, whether it's uh, the One Ring. I just think the metagame at large has shifted where there are lots of creatures in play. So it really takes out the ability to win with the Derevi lines and Grim Hireling stuff. Now, it can still do it, right? Like, it can yeah. still do that stuff. It's all dependent on the gameplay. But as a people just throwing, like, a random 1-4 out there to block because it has, like, the Mox Monkey ability. you know, Two mana 1-4 that is a one-sided stacks piece. Yeah, so just cards like that just become, like, not favorable for the deck. And the deck runs removal but it's i don't know it's just like i think i think the tools are there for najila to make another push you just have to pick a lane and i feel like najila's kind of done this thing of like i want to do this i want to be super mid-rangey i want to be super turbo i kind of want to play in the middle i I just think you got to pick a lane that's giving you the best results a lot of the top pilots on najila have been playing other stuff so you're not seeing memo you know you know, I, I know Memo's been like working on the deck, trying to find like some new tools for it. I know what that's like, you know, especially too, you have like a fairly established list, whether it's, you know, a top deck or not, you know, and then you're just trying to like find that small tweak to it that is it worth it? Is it really making that impactful of a difference? Is this like a card I'm going to tutor for? I mean, like uh, the, uh, is it Cutsel? Is that how you say yeah. the name of the green? Yeah. So it got that. I think that card's pretty solid, right? Yeah, having a, a warrior that is a Grand Abolisher, um, pretty nice. Yeah, pretty nice. But uh, the list that did well, let's uh, let me let's take a look at them real quick. Yeah, when I'm looking at one of these lists, you know, 17 creatures, all the usual suspects. It's got Samut, Grim Hireling. Uh, I, it's got Derevi. It's got the Brain Freeze, the Breach, the One Ring. Yeah, and then you know your normal kind of like counter spells, Grixis stuff. You know, it's a it's a weird deck because it's like running a bunch of green, but it's trying to be a Grixis deck. Does that make sense? Yeah, like where it's. I mean, like we, you know, people will call it like five color rock's eye, and that that's because you when you're trying to do that thing, you are very much like Najila is just like a cheap commander I can get into play if I'm on that game plan. It turns on my fierce and my SWAT, and I can jam out my five color breach or Adnaz kind of stuff. Like if you're if you're doing that part of the plan, but then you also kind of need a lot of the green stuff to do the. Well, I also want to be able to just pivot and do Najila wins with either Derevi or Druid's Repository or Grim Hireling. A lot of those are usually like using like your creature tutors to get those into play or put them on top of your deck, whatever. And so, yeah, you do kind of have a split. And then you saw like one of those decks that won was doing this also started running like Chatterfang again, Uh, really leaning into like the that is purely if you're not doing Najila stuff, that card, I mean, it has text, but it's not as good. It's not not very efficient to play a Chatterfang, spin three on it. 
blow it up to give something like minus one, minus one. If you're not doing Najila stuff, if you are, though, it can be like, you know, pretty cracked. So if you want to go more synergistic and do like what, you know, the Pongo stuff that we were doing, you know, a year, year and a half ago, whatever. That's an option you have, but it's hard to do both. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, remember when like Najila was like, what was it like almost four time walk effects in it? You know, it was running the three yeah. red ones and, and the Chance red white one. I wonder, because whether the fact that Najila has dropped or not, it still put how many people in top 16? Uh, Was it nine? Nine, yeah. Nine, with two wins. So Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of decks in in the last quarter that got two wins. So it still has the capabilities to do it. It's whether or not the pilots who want to, like, you know, put the effort into playing it, because sometimes it's just easier to go, yeah, I'm going through all this effort, you know, f- trying to figure out my mana base, all this other stuff. I can just play Blue Farm, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, I, I think it's so. really important to highlight that uh, the top five is the numbers are like the top 16s and the number of entries are completely tied together. Like Najila, which had previously been close to number one in entries, is now at fifth in entries. You know, it's like almost 100 less, like it's like 80 80 less entries than the number one. So that's like a big factor too. Its conversion rate is lower than like the top two decks and some of the ones below it. But if you got Najila 80 more entries, it, you know, probably going to get pretty close to, you know, number three or something on this list. So it is also like people are feeling less drawn to the deck. Yeah, do you want to do our number four, which has been like gone from the most talked about commander ever, it felt like, to just dead silence. I mean, it's all right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Tivit Seller of Secrets. 10 top 16s, 67 entries at a 14.93% conversion rate. So a lower conversion rate than Najila with like one more top 16. So they're pretty... Yeah, yeah so Tivit did pick up a win uh, for Treasure Series 8s by Chaos Tournaments. Came in first place with four wins, one loss, two draws. So let's take a look at that list. So I'm just trying to see if they're doing anything different than we've seen before. I think it's running some pretty, you know, it's running like Get Lost, which is a newer card. So it's a removal spell. Containment Priest, again, probably to fight off against like the green decks or any kind of reanimation reanimation effects. It's got the usual suspects in it. Like if you look at the list, the card quality is pretty high. Mm. They just made some concessions to having a little bit more card advantage engines like Archivist of Agma. And then also just running a little bit more like stacks like Containment Priest and Dauntless Dismantler. I feel like Tivit, when it started off, it was like, I think people just got really tired of Blue Farm, to be honest, and they wanted to be different. And the Time Sieve thing is really attractive. Like it's super fun if you've ever Time Sieved combo with the Tivit before. And then obviously an early Tivit, you know, backed by counter spells is is just so much card advantage. But we've seen Tivit take a dive. And that doesn't mean the deck inherently is bad because, you know, clearly people are doing well with it. It did pick up a win. But I think it's settled now. It's it's settling into yeah. the niche of where people like it. Yeah, it's like a Staxier Esper equivalent of Blue Farm that doesn't need to run a bunch of creatures to enable any of its strategies, but it just does because a lot of them are good or are like asymmetrical hate pieces. Kind of the the Esper deck of choice where it seemed at one point when we were doing these that Esper was like, oh, Esper's the new Grixis. Maybe not. It, I mean, this deck is still performing better than the actual Grixis decks on the list. Uh, although it is like, I think it has a conversion rate closer to Rogsai. Then um the other this is like the second lowest conversion rate i think on the list 
to it being that like super stable uh consistent deck is maybe not as much the case or maybe it is that the uh the builds like the ceiling has kind of lowered to the point where they're just like kind of struggling to get that slightly higher conversion to top 16 number three it's this say weather like captain with 15 top 16 so a big jump all these other ones have been you know one more or tied with the next one this is five more than the, the next highest list 85 entries 17.65 percent conversion rate um so still kind of a middle of the pack conversion rate but way higher entries this deck has kind of popped off in terms of popularity i think because like it's it's another one that was like uh like we mentioned with like kind of with kindred it was like a honorable mention ish deck and then it was like you know number eight nine seven and then top five and then boom now we're here in top three matt what, what do you want to say about sisse i know you've probably you're more knowledge you're no more knowledgeable about this on me on this deck list they keep making legendary creatures i they don't even have to be creatures they keep making legendary cards this is a deck i think one people have just started building a little bit better they, they've tried to really clean up the list uh it's still being experimented with like we saw one uh i think one of the winning lists that was running like rocco in in the 99 which is not a card that has any it's a legendary creature it doesn't have any synergy with you know you don't want to tutor it up with sisse crazy impactful creatures you want to tutor into play that having your creature tutor be on a very hard to counter creature spell pretty nice and you again can have like sometimes you'll just get a one like has the strength of rocco in the 99 sometimes you just get a ragavan because you're playing it on one or get a esper sentinel and then sometimes you're casting a cannon and immediately went through the game this deck just has so much ability to pivot it's another deck that kind of plays very differently then, you know, most other like you look at the card, the distribution of cards here where there's like eight to ten planeswalkers, maybe a single sorcery. And, you know, in the entire list, like it's very clearly built very differently from a lot of the other high color decks in, in the format. But it still interacts in, you know, kind of the same way. And it's harder to interact with. Of course, it gets very weak to opposition agent. Most decks are. This deck kind of doesn't do anything through op agent if you haven't already got to develop or, you know, you have some kind of advantage in play. But even then, like, if you get into a game where it's stalled out because of something like that and other you know, stacksy pieces in play, this thing just gets to curve out with cracked cards. Just like, okay, well, I'll cast the Faber Elder this turn. I'll cast like eight mana worth of stuff next turn and just play my cards one at a time until I eventually break through because you know, if the game lasts long enough, it's going to break through. And the moment something gets removed, this deck can just win an instant speed. Yeah, I want to highlight uh, the list. Um, so there's, it took down, it had how many wins? It had had two wins this last quarter. I'm going to highlight Unrivaled. I list. loved Unrivaled's deck. So, I, I loved this uh, version of it. Pretty big fan of Unrivaled. I follow their, just their playing career. Um, super great person to talk to. And they have a pretty good range of decks too. So things I kind of want to highlight. Uh, we'll start with the creatures. Olivia mobilized for war. That's a sweet new include, legendary creature. And then it basically is three mana, three, three flyer. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may discard a card. If you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on that creature. It gains haste until the end of turn and becomes a vampire in addition to its types. Just really cool toolbox cards that allows to give haste, to pump up your creatures. Obviously, uh, when you... You know, if it fits out first and you put your Sisse into play, it buffs your Sisse, which is kind of cool. Colossal Sky Turtle, another cool new include that's just a modality card. Man, yeah, it's it's got a lot. But the card that I thought was really interesting, we talked about this, was Teferi Mage of Zafar. Is that how you say it? Zafar? Zalfir? Zalfir? There's an L in there. Zalfir? Yeah. Uh, and this is the Flash Teferi. So it's this is the triple blue two, three, four Flash. Creatures you own that aren't on the battlefield have Flash. 
Each opponent can cast spells basically only at sorcery speed. Uh, just another tool in the deck. And, and we, we saw the win come from this card. Yes. Somebody, I think they, they cast like a removal spell or some kind of like piece of interaction kind of against the soul wall. Something that this, the, since I didn't want to play and then just boom immediately to fairy and just win. Again, a, a deck that got a pretty big upgrade this year, not only from popularity of more pilots on it, but just kind of cards overall. It got Agatha Soul Cauldron, the One Ring, Mount Doom, which really kind of helps the deck out and be able to win with a land. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is actually opting to play an Underworld Breach package. Yes, that's like the the one of the bigger. Ten, you tend to see different selections of the legendary creatures across the the different Sisay lists. But the one that really makes it stand out is that it's not just running pure Sisay related win cons. It is doing the full breach package. Yeah, that, and that's what I just wanted to highlight about this particular list. Was very conscious on how they built their mana base, like most good pilots, most good deck builders. But I, I really yeah. love these kind of decks. Just like the, it's just a brain bender. Whenever, like if when when things go your way, it just stomps over the table. Of course, right. Um, but when they don't, you probably have a way to still get there. It's just like on you to navigate through it and figure out combination of ways to use your searches and setting yourself up to to really do things. Continue to move up. We can see. I think it's gonna be tough to dethrone our two, our one and two though. These are looking like the established one and two. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if we we get anything different. But at number two, you probably guessed it. We have Kennen Bonder Prodigy, twenty two top sixteens, ninety six entries for a twenty two point nine two percent conversion rate, the highest conversion rate among decks with like more than thirty entries by a decent amount. This is just this is Kennen. It's it's here. It was a little bit like at the beginning of last year kind of closer to that five-ish range i think five to six uh and then we just saw like an explosion of this deck as um especially like the when the one ring came out it was very big for this this is one of the best one ring decks it gets to really take advantage you're already seedborn using putting in like manamo is just free for this deck so cards that break the one ring that i've seen higher colorless run but it's a little bit if you're there this has just become like and i swear Every single person I saw like tweet, like I'm thinking about getting into CDH, they all picked up Kennen. Like this is, I'm surprised this isn't number one in terms of actual play. I guess if you weren't looking at tournaments, it probably is the most played CDH deck at this point. Just not quite in tournaments yet. There's not much to say. There are no new cards really came out since the last time we uh, talked about the list. It just continues to be like a powerhouse that can go stacksy. We saw like, I think more, it's, it's closer to like this last quarter where Trinisphere started to become more of a staple of the deck, sometimes over or with cards like Karn. It's just a super powerful deck that can kind of do anything. It's not just mana. It's not going to be a Winota situation where they remove your cannon and that's all uh this is just a busted deck that is very popular and powerful and at a i would say like one of the easier ones to pick up and play at like a like if you're just kind of competent in general with magic picking up cannon and doing okay i would say is like one of the safest bets to, to pick up and i think that helps can help the conversion rate yeah also has a super high ceiling as well so if you take somebody like max who plays it and by the way i i think eventually wounded max is going is going to get that win i really oh yeah he keeps getting that close it's it's you know super consistent always grinding always working on the deck we had him on the podcast and everything i just think that he's uh due for it and that's that's gonna be my bet you know, for going into 2024 that he's going to scoop up that win. That's going to be sweet and well-earned, well-deserved. It isn't just him. Um, no Kinnan actually got a win in this quarter. Uh, this, I think it's the, the only deck in the top five that didn't didn't manage to snag one. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty interesting because, like, 
you would think like, and, and again, it's pretty arguable what happened in chaos, the last chaos of it, that mm. the results of that one, but uh, we won't have to, you know, rehash that, but that, you know, that could have easily been like max winning that event. So, but sweet list overall, super consistent. I know that in, it's got a great fan base that's worked really hard on just innovating on the list, keeping it clean too. Like you look at it at first, you're like, man, it's got to like Tidespell Tyrants, Thorn Mammoths, that type of stuff. But the play experience against Kennen doesn't feel that way. It's kind of like Sisse. You don't feel like you're stuck with a bunch of Planeswalkers in your hand. They're very disciplined how they mulligan. So they mulligan for like the appropriate situation based on the pod and seating position. And then the deck just kind of churns into what it's doing. So it's sweet. I like it. Yeah, it's it kind of like we, I had mentioned with like Prom Tevish, where like this deck, you have that like fail case of like, as long as I get a hand that can make mana, I will have place. I don't need to necessarily have a payoff in my hand. I don't need Basalt Monolith or a way to find it. If I can generate mana, this deck will be able to at least have like a pretty high floor that it plays at. And then again, you're talking about like its ceiling can be crazy. This deck can turn two win. This deck can potentially turn one win. It's a little bit trickier, but if you just get some good stuff in your hand, you could potentially even just, boom, turn one void winner. Good luck, chumps. Like, you yeah. can, even if you're not winning, this deck has very high potential and, like, the the floor, the ceiling, it's, like, really good all around. The only thing it lacks is, like, that very concise commander agnostic win con. Like a, like a true A plus B that yeah. just can smooth it out. Again, like, th- this is one of those decks, too. Like, if the metagame is, like, really mid-rangey, right? And depending on people's removal and all that stuff, you don't want to get in a mid-range creature slugfest with this deck, right? Because it's going to just put some behemoths into play and it's going to beat you up. Like I've literally watched a Thorn Mammoth just dominate a game, right? Because that's what the game became about. It became about the battlefield. Mm. And again, another good uh, Invasion of Ikoria deck. Uh, That card's really good. Like I wasn't high on it at first, but the more I played with it and actually was able to use the 8-8 in like different scenarios. It's it's a pretty solid card. Second finale, second worst finale devastation, still pretty good. Yeah, you want to talk about like this and Kenan, I think more specifically, but even Sisse, we talked about earlier with the, uh, the viewer question of like uh, the success of stacks or whatever. Good luck stacking these decks out. You're going to get so bodied. Kenan loves most stacks pieces. Just be like, sure, they don't get to do the, you know, turn to uh, Tide Spout Tyrant bouncing all their stuff. You know, I mean, that's tougher. They're just going to cast their six drops, cast their eight drops. What are you going to do? You're not, you're a mono white deck that's developing, you know, fairly one card at a time. Kenan doesn't care. They have a way better top end than you. And they have a they have a commander that just ignores your rule of yeah. facts. So really um, tough to be a stacks player in a in a Kinnon world. Our number one, I think people are gonna be really shocked to hear this. It's kind of insane, but coming out of nowhere from the top rope, we have Oswald Fiddlebender at number one. And all four builds as all, well. All different builds, very no they they're so different. You have to you have to if you had a database, you'd have to put them separately. Uh, they're just so unique. Um, here it is. <laughs> no, of course we have Hemnun Krom, thirty-six top sixteen, hundred and thirty-seven entries, and the the exciting part here, I think, the really notable stat: twenty-six point two eight percent conversion rate. We are not in the era anymore where Blue Farm just is like, oh, it's got big numbers and its conversion rates mid. This has the highest conversion rate of any of the like thirty, forty plus decks, and by a lot, and with way more entries. Yeah, and it picked up three wins. 
Yeah, like, there, there is like not you, a blemish on this record for Blue Farm yeah. here. Triple win, second place, second place, second place, second place. Like, and plus too, when you look at you know the some of the people that have picked up Blue Farm, you've got some really strong pilots like Freedom Waffle. Love, love Freedom Waffle, but yeah, Blue Farm just doing the Blue Farm thing. Is there any spice mat to these Blue Farm decks that is like? come about recently or are we just still seeing the same I mean, old, we, same old we did see freedom cut console that that was the thing we saw like like some uh players had cut imperial seal i think like ori had cut imperial seal freedom waffle cutting demonic consultation for like born upon a win but like they got new cards so like dauntless dismantler is a card you can probably expect to be in a decent portion of blue farm decks they have so many two drops they don't they're not necessarily all gonna run it but you can don't be surprised if you see it not many of them have opted for Beseech the Mirror. It's pretty awkward in a four-color mana base. We have, I think it's become maybe not, we're not seeing as many like tops without it, but we are seeing like a lot of discussion of like, I'm going to cut uh, Ad Nauz and then just run like the One Ring and or Talion um, because these decks just like don't, just not really nausing too much to begin with. You could argue whether that's good or bad. Um, but yeah, and then there's just like, kind of the usual suspects that come in and out like some of these decks are on like professional facebreaker some of them are on dothy some of them aren't you just have a lot of options with a, a core of i would say 90 ish cards that really stay so nothing like absolutely insane i don't think showing up but there is like i would say like at least like a five to ten ish um, number of slots that are just like the next best card is questionable and you can just kind of slot them in this deck is just to me if we were doing, if this was a tier list, I think you maybe could argue that this deck goes in its own tier. Like maybe, -tier. yeah, like maybe Kennen come stays in the tier with it. Um, but pretty hard, especially without Kennen getting a win. If I looked purely at these results and made a tier list, I'd probably have Blue Farm by itself. If I'm thinking as like as myself, I probably put it in the the tier with maybe Kennen. But based on these results, it would probably be like S plus Blue Farm S Kennen. A is probably Tivit Sis A, maybe Najila Kenrith. It could be like you could even split that A plus and A, um, where like Atraxa and Kenrith are somewhere in there. Rockside, Krom, Tevish, and Talion are probably be something like that. When we talked about this last time, I definitely think now you're looking for reasons to not play Blue Farm. When you when someone says like I want to play in a tournament and I want to do well, probably just hand them Tim to Krom and they kind of need a reason not to play it, I think. You could also hand them Kinnon, especially if they're newer. You hand them Kinnon, and it does play pretty differently. So uh, there, there's something there. But if you were like, I want to win a tournament, there's not a metric you could look at, or I think even like a ignoring the stats, like this deck list gets to do this so much better than Timnacrom that you could try to go this route. It's really hard to not just say like, you should probably, if you're a CDH player who really cares about results and that you're results oriented and that's what you care about, probably should play Timnacrom. I would like to see a shakeup. I don't think that's an inherently negative thing. That doesn't bother me. You were just talking about melee. I played melee the whole time. There were points where Fox was in his own tier and yeah. everybody's like, well, what do we do? It's like, well, you just keep playing the game. If you don't like Fox, you can play somebody else. You're not always going to play against the best Foxes in the world anyways, but sometimes that's just how the game is. And But we've seen this year this not be the case. That's the reason I don't think it's doom and gloom because there were points where Tim Nakram had like a 14 or you know something percent conversion rate and Najila was almost at a, it was a higher conversion rate. It was almost as many entries. It looked like Tivit was going to take over. So it hasn't been like, this has been the year of Blue Farm. It kind of became that way. And that's definitely the case right now. Going into 2024, 
I think that's the deck to beat. Not even a question. I don't. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. And again, I I still maintain that Modern Horizons three is going to change the format. Does it feel like Blue Farm is? you know, kind of build your own adventure. It has probably, like you said, in the neighborhood of like, I'm going to just be a, a even broad, probably like 15 cards. You can swap it in and out and that can kind of change how the play patterns of the deck are a little bit. When we did all these quarterly review updates, it's kind of became like a, a joke for us, like people who like, oh, Blue Farm can't win. And I'm just like, I don't understand that philosophy or that thought process because it is what's winning. It's Mm -hmm. ignore your conversion rates and win percentages and all that stuff what matters in the end is it winning tournaments i don't care that the new york giants football team was terrible the years they won the super bowl they still got two super bowl wins in that short time span and that's really all that matters in the end you know now granted you want consistency and everything but like i said blue farm is the new england patriots of the cdh world you know they're just it's it's there it's always consistent and it's probably going to give you more wins than not so you know i i would take a hard look and like i without spoiling anything i would say that blue uh, blue farm definitely has the most wins of the year right just looking at the quarter before i go to the year stats it has the most wins for the quarter with three over you know other decks only got two and then some decks got one so yeah so it had it had the not the highest conversion rate for wins because that would be impossible at 137 entries it just wins everything <laughs> top fours it's not even close top fours is our top 10 is like four twos two threes two fours a five and then 14 top fours that is like s plus tier in terms of top fours and it had like its conversion rate in top fours is very high the only like the top 10 Krom tevish has a higher conversion rate but it's like less it's like less than a fifth it's like a sixth of the deck so like for decks 30 plus. And yeah, let's look for the year. Yeah, and while Matt's doing that, I'm just going to speak on like the fact that it is like pretty modal and how you design your creature packages. Because like we talked about, it it could have like all these different type of like asymmetrical stacks creatures. It could have more card advantage things like Archivist of Agma, Professional Facebreaker, uh, Fairy Mastermind. I mean, that's kind of wild, right? It just really depends on how you want to build the deck. I know... Uh, uh, Ian played a version not too long ago last year. I guess, yeah, technically last year. It's weird to say that, but uh, that like had, you know, I think uh, Talion, the One Ring, those type of things. And as much as people keep saying they want to cut ad nauseum, if you look at the list that all won, they all they do. All That's why out. I never cut. I always think about it and I'm just like, I'm the reason we have this is I, I very much think about what do the people who are succeeding do if i'm going away from that i should have a very good reason there should be some basis that like oh this result didn't run nas there isn't any i can point to they all run it you know whether it's the 80th best card in the deck or whatever they're all running it so we looked at our top 10 let's go over now the top 10 for the year um yeah, we're gonna we'll, we'll do real quick top 16 top four and wins for top 16s for the year um we had Krom tevish at 10 Bruce Rassi was at nine. That's how you know these numbers are weird. <laughs> uh, Kinrith at eight. Atraxa at seven. Rogsai at six. Sisse at five. Tivit at four. Najila at three. Kinnan at one. And by far, number one, Blue Farm, 94 top 16s, almost 40 more than the second place with the highest conversion rate of decks with more than like 200. No, there are higher conversion rates, but they're with much lower entry numbers, like even yeah. like less than a quarter. So easily number one in top 16s. Um, and I would argue the highest conversion rate in terms of statistically relevant entry numbers. Looking at top fours, our 10 is Dargo Thras, Tyam, Kenrith, Tevish Krom, Atraxa, Tivit, Sisena, Jila, Kinnan, Timnacrom, again, 
39 top fours compared to 17 from Kinnan, number two. Much again, much higher conversion rate. Conversion rate numbers are a little bit lower here, but like three to four percent more than the field, and with the highest number of entries by a lot. And then for wins, Roxy at 10, Tyam, Atraxa, Sisse, Kinnan, Kenrith, Tivit, Tevish Krom, Najila, Timnakrom, having double the number of Najila and, and Tevish Krom at five with 10 wins for the year. Yeah. And that's also going to not include uh, a, some Star City events because Blue Farm won that one that didn't get added to the EDH top 16 because for whatever reason, they do not use ED, they do not use uh, command tower software. Mm. And then the big massive event in Japan where it went undefeated. And that list was pretty sweet as well. That was, that cool was actually, show. yeah, very cool list. Very cool list indeed. Um, you know, that's just some blue farm on the side right there. That's just two free big wins and big tournament, bigger tournaments yeah. there. And that, so, so put it, that putting them at like 12 compared to five, it is interesting. The numbers were pretty much what you'd expect for the year, other than wins, where it was kind of like there were some ones like Rocks only had one. And then like Sisse and Kennan didn't really win much, only getting two wins for the year. And then Kenrith with three, Tivit with four, and then Tevish, Krom, and Najila with five. Like really standing above like the other decks. Like for the year, I'm I'm probably putting Kennan at two, but it's it is struggling to win events. Whereas yeah. Timnakrom is the only deck that's like really bodying everything else with every stat that I think you could look at. Yeah. So just, you know, and what's funny is like I don't even play Blue Farm. It's not even my style of deck. You know, I'm a I'm a Dockside Go Burr kind of guy. D- here's what I wanted to point out. So the data, so instead of having like two separate episodes of like a quarterly in a year, this is something I just wanted to point out. Well, we talked about earlier in the year when everybody was like, no, um Don Waker style decks, uh, they're ju- they're top tier. And I'm like, yes, they're they the previous data from 2022 was very good on them. And they're starting off strong, but as it started progressing, probably when we got into that, about that's kind of the tail end of the first quarterly review into the second one, we saw a trend and the trend dropped. And then Rocco came out of nowhere and Rocco started doing really well. And then Rocco could have took a deep dive, took a dive. And then Rocco recently, there were like for this last quarter, there were three Rocco decks in top 16. Yeah. And that's why we really talk about looking at data and trends over a fair period of time because again the quarterly reviews typically line up with set releases by and large and again it's a little bit off because some set releases are master sets or reprint sets or whatever when we look at that and we look at like new sets come out we see trends that's why like we need to kind of see how orcish bowmaster plays out now it's just a card in the format like it's good it's it can be ultra oppressive in some games and some games, it never hits the battlefield. Like, it's, you know, I, I like to look at that because if you went back and looked at, like, this data, for example, that Matt just pulled up, you'd be like, oh, wow, you know, Bruce Thrasios still up there, you know, top 10 deck. But I, I, don't, I don't think it even sniffs the top 10 now, right? Like, yeah, when re- you recent results are at- not pushing that at all. It's really just like that first quarter going into the second quarter, kind of like you said. And just like this year, probably a lot of the decks are doing well in from like January, February, March. We'll see that. And then probably about midsummer when MH3 comes out, we'll start seeing a drop there and we'll see a different trend. And that's that's good to see trends. And that's not to say you can't play these decks. I think you should play whatever you want, honestly, like based on your goals as a magic player, whether it's tournament or just 
with your friends. Like you should just, you should pick that. At the same time too, I just try to, we try to give a realistic perspective that things can change and it doesn't really, it takes about a quarter for things to really change. People, you know, CDH used to be a lot slower in terms of the movement of the format, but now with copious amounts of set releases, supplementary sets as well, and then just more tournament scenes, you know, the data kind of moves a little bit faster. People are playing way more in Discord. There's like a 40 plus player event every weekend you know, mm. somewhere. So yeah, it's pretty, it's a CDH has grown quite a bit. So I would just, I would say it's more fluid now and you don't have to be so pigeonholed on like a particular opinion or a deck identity or even how a deck's particular doing in one instance. Like who's to say that some really strong pilots pick up Don Waker, they go, oh yeah, got some new tools. Let's retool it. And then it's doing really well again, just like how Najila did, just like how Rogsai did, you know, just like how Blue mm. Farm shifted. It's like went from like kind of this weird, like four color turbo deck to, you know, four color humans list. Things can change. All it takes is some good innovation, some time, some effort and the right people to play it. So let me know down below. What did you think of this quarter? What did you think of 2023 CDH? Um, it was definitely the biggest year for CDH ever. And I think it was awesome. I, th I, th I think this was amazing to see. I look forward to the data that we're going to get next year, maybe even being like doubled in terms of like the number of events and the size of events. I know we have a lot of cool stuff to look forward to. Uh, so let me know what is your prediction for 2024? What deck are we going to be clamoring about at the end of the year? Or is it just going to be some new busted commander that gets printed that uh, everybody's going to be running because they made five man or five color rogue rack. Let me know and let us know uh, what you'd like for us to cover next. We have like a decent amount of topics we want to dive into, but we're always interested to see what you would like for us to talk about next. And we're always open for that. If you enjoyed this video, let us know down below what you liked. Consider commenting, consider subscribing, about to hit 6K. We got a lot coming for you over there. Consider supporting on Patreon, get cool perks get access to videos early submit questions for the podcast um and buy the merch i got one of the don't feed the fish shirts and my hoodie for christmas they look sick but yeah uh blue farm is good rock size a higher conversion rate than tivit um that's all that matters <laughs> with all that being said go play cdh go top 16 in tournament with your favorite deck have a good one everybody